Before we get started this week, we want to acknowledge that language around differences in sexual development is still evolving. As always, here at the Incubator, we strive to use language that is inclusive and respectful. Thank you. This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Daphna, how's it hanging? It's Wednesday. It's all we're 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 getting there. We're almost halfway done. <laughs> so we'll start with question 38. Let's go. A four-month-old uh, male infant born at 24 weeks gestation had a clinical course complicated by necrotizing enterocolitis requiring an ileostomy and prolonged uh, parental nutrition. A radiograph demonstrates a fracture of the left humerus. The neonatologist recalls the distinction between osteopenia and osteo- osteomalacia. Of the following, the description that is most consistent with osteomalacia is... A, decreased osteoid production, normal mineralization. B, increased matrix resorption, normal mineralization. C, increased osteoid production, decreased mineralization. D, increased matrix resorption, normal mineralization. Or E, normal osteoid production, decreased mineralization. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. Oh, an osteopenia question. This one will be easy. It's probably phosphor calcium. Okay, so the way I approach this question is I know um, tracheomalacia is like the floppy airway, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking osteomalacia is a floppy bone. Um, That means that inside the bone, it's probably not uh, very dense, well-packed. It's probably floppy in a way. So... What is mineralization, right? So the first the first point here is what does that mean? So mineralization, my way of understanding mineralization is that you have the osteoblast, which are right, it starts with a B, osteoblast, mm-hmm. which means they're building the muscles, the the bones, I'm sorry. And they are taking calcium, phosphorus crystals, and they're just aligning them very well inside the bone, night neatly packed, and it's making your bone, right? That to me is mineralization. Um so when you have osteomalacia, the mineralization process, especially <clears throat> in the context of post-NEC metabolic bone disease of prematurity, uh, that's affected. And so I'm expecting mineralization to be decreased. So that leaves choice C and E for me. And then the question is, what is the osteoid production? Um, is it increased or normal? Um, I don't believe that the osteoid production should be affected by this uh, pathology. So for that reason, I picked E, which was normal osteoid production and decreased mineralization. Yeah, that's correct. E, normal osteoid production and decreased mineralization um, are the hallmarks of osteomalacia, which malacia means soft, like you said, with with tracheomalacia. So um, alternatively, osteopenia, a prematurity or metabolic 
bone disease of prematurity is characterized by decreased bone matrix. So the actual kind of like building blocks of the bone um, as a result of either decreased um, deposition, um, which you certainly would affect, uh, expect in a baby whose nutrition has been not as optimal because it's all um, parenteral or increased matrix resorption. So the first thing the body does when it's missing stuff is pull it from the bones. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in, that's in contrast to infants with osteomalacia that have decreased mineralization, like we said here, but still have adequate osteoid production. Like the scaffold is normal, um, but the mineralization is not. In osteopenia prematurity, it's like this, the scaffolding um, or the matrix um, is, is not normal. Okay. I think I'm asking you the second half of this question, which is 38B. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then which of the following positively influences mineral accretion in the fetus? Choice A, fetal parathyroid hormone. Choice B, intrauterine growth restriction. Choice C, maternal estrogen. Choice D, maternal vitamin D deficiency. Choice E, preeclampsia. Okay. Um, so... A seems like a reasonable answer, fetal uh, parathyroid hormone, um, but I think it's not very active um, in, in fetal life. Um, intrauterine growth restriction, no, they tend to have poor accretion. Vitamin D deficiency, I would expect the same. Preeclampsia, no, they have less kind of nutrient accretion. And then Estrogen, um, which I know can cross um, the placenta, um, certainly helps with bone health in, in you know, women with estrogen. So um, I went with C. Good for you. That is correct. Um, maternal estrogen is the correct answer. So estrogen has an anabolic effect on bone growth and positively influences mineral accretion in the fetus. The placenta transfers calcium from the mother uh, to the fetus throughout pregnancy with the greatest amount of transfer occurring during the third trimester, which is not surprising considering we see so many uh, mm -hmm. late preterm with, uh, with low calcium at birth. Um, the high fetal serum calcium levels lead to, a, to an increased fetal calcitonin and suppressed fetal parathyroid function. So the high fetal calcitonin concentration inhibit bone resorption mm -hmm. and a fetus who is growth restricted or born to a woman with vitamin D deficiency or preeclampsia may have decreased mineral accretion, something that makes sense as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maternal estrogen is, uh, is the substance leading uh, mineral accretion in the fetus. Okay, question 42. During embryogenesis, Wolfian ducts develop into the epididymis, the vas deferens, ejaculatory duct, and the seminal vesicles. The SRY gene activates differentiation of the bipotential gonad into testes. Which of the following is the first compound to stimulate the Wolfian duct differentiation? Choices. Oh, my God. You think <laughs> I... You think after 50 it's, episodes. It's, it's becoming a, a, a ritual. <laughs> I'm sorry. No worries. I don't mind. A, uh, dihydro, dihydrotestosterone or DHT. B, estradiol. C, insulin-like growth factor. 3, D, testosterone or uh, E, 5-alpha reductase. 
Okay, so um, I think this is, I think I'm thinking right now of the graph you were mentioning early on in the week. So uh, yeah. in testicular development, you have two types of cell. You have the Leydig cells and the Sertoli yeah. cells. So the way I remember this is that the Sertoli cells are supposed to help with the regression of the Mullerian duct, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what's going to steer the fetus away from female development towards male development. And then you have the Leydig cells, and those are going to be responsible for testicular development and Wolfian duct uh, differentiation. And the Leydig cells, um, they are lit, you know? You know the the uh, teenage expression. Okay. <laughs> they're lit because Leydig starts with an L, and they produce INSL three and testosterone. Okay. okay. So um, so you imagine like a college boy partying and saying it's lit. That's it. That's all you need to remember. They're all like now, Leydig, Leydig, Leydig. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So then, uh, then all you have to remember there is that the INSL3 leads to testicular development and testosterone leads to the Wolfian duct uh, differentiation. So in this case, I, you could have these are choice C and D. D is testosterone. That's my answer. Okay, that is uh, correct. Um, D, testosterone. So during embryogenesis, like you said, you took away all my teaching points, but the fetus uh -huh. contains both Mullerian and Wolfian um, genital ducts, which are um, the kind of internal structures. The Wolfian ducts develop into the vas deferens, the epididymis, and the seminal vesicles. SRY gene in males activate events that lead to the differentia differentiation of um, the bipotential gonad um, to testes. Um, subsequently, two hormones, like you said, testosterone and the Mullerian inhibiting substance, um, also known as anti-Mullerian hormone or Mullerian inhibiting factor, are produced by the testes and stimulate the Wolfian duct differentiation and Mullerian duct regression. Then... Uh, after that, so that they asked for, which is the first compound to stimulate Wolfian duct differentiation. And so that answer is testosterone. Um, and then there's local conversion of testosterone to DHT by the enzyme 5-alpha reductase, which leads to the fusion of the labioscrotal folds and formation of the scrotum and the penis. Um, INSL3 or the insulin-like growth factor 3 um, promotes testicular development. Estradiol is not involved in Wolfian duct differentiation um, uh, at all. Okay. Okay. All right, Daphne, your next question 43. Which of the following is most consistent with the lab values found in an infant with hypopituitarism? Choice A, high growth hormone, high cortisol, high T4, normal TSH. Choice B, high growth hormone, low cortisol, low free T4. Choice C, low growth hormone, high cortisol, low free T4. Choice D, low growth hormone, low cortisol, low free T4. Choice E, normal growth hormone, low cortisol, low free T4. Um, so, I mean, it's <laughs> hypopituitarism. So I would expect everything to be low. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I and then I just made sure that like these were hormones from the pituitary gland. That's all. That's correct. Um, and it took me some time because I was like, there's got to be a trap here somewhere. Yeah, I, I was looking, I was like, hold on, is cortisol? No, it, you're right. It all should be low. Uh, mm -hmm. That's choice D. In a uh, healthy newborn, plasma concentration of growth hormone are persistently elevated. But in a newborn who has hypopituitarism, the growth hormone level is generally less than five nanogram per milliliter. Also, random and stimulated cortisol levels are low, and uh, the levels of free T4 and are low, and TSH is usually low, but can be normal. Um, yeah, I think that's that could have been a trick, right? You could have had a normal TSH. TSH. Yeah, that would have been that would have been tricky. And yeah. then you can remember the hormones. Um, you, did you use that for? for I forgot. G, G flat. Yeah, the the flat pig is that flat. Oh. Pig? Flat pig is way better because G flat avoids some hormones. So flat um, pig. Yeah. And I'm just. Yeah. F, FSH, L, LH, A. Yeah, but there's like one. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, yeah. F is FSH, as you said. L is LH. Uh, A is ACTH. T is TSH. Mm -hmm. uh, PI is prolactin. G is growth hormone, and then um, and then you have on the uh, on the posterior pituitary you have oxytocin and ADH. Very good. Okay, okay. you're up. Question forty five. Soon after birth, uh, a full term male infant, a newborn, sorry, is noted to have hypospadias. Which of the following statements about hypospadias is false? A, advanced maternal age, pre-existing uh, diabetes mellitus, and um, maternal smoking have been associated with hypospadias. B, delayed circumcision is recommended in case the foreskin may be required for repair. C, hypospadias is estimated to occur in approximately 1 in 500 births. D, if associated with bilateral undescended testes, congenital adrenal hyperplasia must be considered. Or E, the majority of cases of the majority of cases of hypospadias are in a subcoronal location. Okay. Um, so which one is false, huh? Mm -hmm. So to be honest with you, advanced maternal age, pre-existing maternal diabetes, maternal smoking have been associated with hypospadia. I had no clue. I was like, mm -hmm. that sounds reasonable, but I didn't know that for a fact. Mm -hmm. um, especially like advanced maternal age, I feel like you could attribute anything to advanced maternal age these days. And and so, I, but the rest, I, I mean, hey, you know. Hey now. <laughs> uh, delayed circumcision is recommended uh, that I knew to be true because you may need to use the mm -hmm. foreskin for uh, a specific type of repair uh, so that I knew to be true hypospadias is estimated to occur in 1 in 500 birth sure why not it right. sounds like I see one every 500 births, so why not? Maybe that's the right answer. If associated with bilateral undescended testicle, CAH must be considered. I, that's that's very true. Like this is actually important for people to know. Um, and then the majority of cases of hypospadia are in the subcoronal location, which means like like on the shaft, on the penile mm -hmm. shaft. And that is that I knew to be wrong because they're mostly mm -hmm. on the glands. Mm -hmm. Like like it's actually very rare. To, so I was like, no, this is wrong. Choice E. That was my answer. Yeah, that is the correct 
false answer. <laughs> so <laughs> the, before we confuse anybody, the location of the displaced ure uh, urethral opening occurs in the glands or the corona in 50% of cases. And um, then in the subcoronal or penile shaft location in 30% of cases. And then in the scrotum of the perineum in 20% of cases, which I actually thought was like a lot of cases if you think about it. Because um, that's also, I have not, I have not seen that. So, but again, I guess I have not seen every baby possible. So I have to stop using that as my answer. You know me. what? When push comes to shove, you know, it's like, <laughs> I've never seen that before in my life. And I've worked in big centers. So come on. Um, so let's review. Hypospadias is the result of incomplete folding or partial closure of the urethra and is estimated to occur in approximately one in 500 births. The final position of the urethral opening is then determined by the extent of incomplete folding or closure. So these other um, these other uh, answer choices are correct. Um, advanced maternal age, pre-existing diabetes mellitus, gestational age less than 37 weeks, um, history of paternal hypospadias, maternal smoking, and pesticide exposure have all been associated with hypospadias. And so I will underline that prematurity, there's definitely a higher um, occurrence of hypospadias. Delayed circumcision is recommended in case the foreskin may be required as part of the repair. And if hypospadias is noted with bilateral undescended testes, then um, congenital adrenal hyperplasia must be ruled out. Um, I was also going to note that there is a rare variant where the foreskin looks normal and the urethral, the urethral abnormality is not even noted until uh, after circumcision or after circumcision or after you start the circumcision when the glands of the penis becomes or like a soft calf palate kind of thing where, yeah. well, oh. and I have seen this and that is tough, <laughs> tough to go back into the parents' room when you have to come back with it. A partial circumcision. That's, that's very, uh, yeah, that's such a, such a rare case. Mm -hmm. um, but that's all we have time for today. Okay, Daphne, that was fun. See you tomorrow. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphne and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICU Podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.